You're listening to Gorilla Radio, a companion to the Gorilla History Podcast. I'm your host today, James Ray, a member of Gorilla History's Partisan Brigade. With me is Henry Hakamaki, another member of the Partisan Brigade, as well as Kyler Lehrbach and Reagan Davis. Uh, Reagan, if you want to, why don't you go ahead and start and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for having us on. My name is Reagan Davis. I am a grad student at Temple University and an organizer with the Temple University Grad Student Association, which is our grad student workers union that is currently on strike. Awesome. And I'll pass it over to you, Kyler. Yeah, thanks so much, uh, James and Henry, for having us on. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Kyler. I am a PhD student in clinical psychology at Temple, and I am also an organizer in Tudza, our student union on campus. Awesome. So I know the the one big topic that's been bringing us all here today is Temple University, uh, the strike regarding and surrounding Tugza, as well as the general strike busting actions that have been taken recently by by Temple that have really been meeting uh, not only international news, but uh, national news as well everywhere across the board. Um, you're seeing major senators, uh, leaders of entire parties coming out and kind of speaking on Temple. And it all started with y'all. Uh, so how did that process get started? What led y'all to kind of the issue of like needing a strike? How has the administration been? I mean, if you want to just give us kind of a from the ground up uh, explanation. Yeah. So if you guys want full details, we've got an article that I wrote for People's World that is in the description right now that is kind of a full explainer. But I'll basically give a really quick summary right now. Temple University Grad Student Association, TAGSA, is a recognized union that was founded in 1997. So it's been going on for more than 20 years now. We're coming up on 25. And since then, it has been fighting for a living wage, for better health care coverage, all the things that you can imagine a union would be fighting for, right? And it is affiliated with the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, so it's part of the AFL-CIO. And every four years, we go into contract negotiations with the administration. We have an elected contract negotiation team. And the last time we did that was in 2018. In 2018, we only had about 19, 20% of the bargaining unit represented by the union. That's pretty standard for a grad student association. One of the difficulties of organizing this particular field is that you are a worker for the period of time that you are attending the grad school. And so about one-fifth of our bargaining unit graduates and leaves at the end of every year. So maintaining high percentage numbers is difficult, but it's something that really since the last time we bargained with the administration in 2018, it's been a real goal of Tugza's to get our numbers up even higher. So we were less than 20% in 2018. Now it's 2023 and we're coming up on 70%. So it is a gigantic, gigantic shift that we have undergone. And because of that, the union is much, much more powerful and the administration does not want to acknowledge how much more powerful the union has gotten since the last time it bargained with us. So our contract negotiation session that we're currently in, if you'll notice, 2023 is actually five years after 2018. It's not four years. And that's because even though we are going into these negotiations every four years, this one has lasted over a year. We have been bargaining 
with the administration trying to avert a strike, doing everything we can to avoid being put in this position because we're teachers. We want to be with our students. But we've been doing this for a year. We have been asking for a cost of living adjustment that would put us closer to in line with the living wage in Philadelphia. We're not even asking for the full living wage, just something closer. We're asking for $32,000. Um, it's about $37,000 nearby. Other grad students are making about thirty eight. dollars So the fact that we're making on average $19,000 and $500 a year is absolutely, absolutely absurd. Um, we're also dealing with a lot of other benefit-related issues. Right now, we only have five days of paid maternity leave. We have health care coverage that includes us, but does not include dependents. And so for every spouse, child, other dependent that you want to add, that's $500 extra each month. So we're talking about, for the average worker, a full 30% of your income for just one dependent. So these are the kind of things that we're bargaining, and we've been trying with the administration to get them to recognize that these are human rights, that these are things that we deserve access to, even though, you know, they don't want to acknowledge that we do. And we've been at an impasse for about a year. They've tried a lot of really dirty tactics over the course of that time. And we can talk a little bit more about those later. But the biggest thing is that we are currently on strike. It is the first grad student strike in the history of the state of Pennsylvania, and it was declared on the 31st of January. So we've been going for almost two weeks as a result of administration stalling and their actions trying to prevent us from getting a fair contract for over a year now. And I'm just going to hop in for a quick second to ask this question. So this this will be directed towards both of you, whoever has something that they want to add and feel free. And also, Kyler, if you want to add in more on uh, what Reagan was talking about with regards to James' question, also feel free to do so. But I think something that might be interesting for many of the listeners that are interested in organizing, and of course, you are both organizers within your your union, is how did you move from only 20% representation to 70% representation? Because this is this is something, and I do want to highly encourage everybody to check out the article that Reagan wrote, Striking Temple Graduate Worker, University's Progressive Reputation Doesn't Extend to Labor Relations. It really does hit all of the key themes that we're going to be talking about today. But one of the things that isn't dwelled on as much in your article, and this is not a flaw of it, but something that I think that we could discuss here is that there is this huge expansion in a very short period of time. And this is something that not only is very impressive, but also should be uh, encouraging for anybody else who's involved in organizing struggles. And I'm curious if we can enlighten the listeners a little bit before we talk about the ongoing struggle in a more deep way of how you were able to expand that in this last period of five years, and also how that increase in the base uh, within the union has allowed you to go forth on this struggle that you're currently engaged in? Yeah, that's a great question, Henry. Thank you for asking it. I think um, with regards to the organizing, uh, we're really proud and happy that we are at the place that we are in terms of our membership density. A lot of this has to do with how our leadership has been for the last few years. Um, it's like any other organization where there's um, ebbs and flows and like Reagan said before, the fact that a fifth of the bargaining unit turns over every year because we're graduate students directly affects leadership as well. So we're in a situation now where the leadership 
who is core to the union are folks that have been putting the time and the work in for the past few years. So it's kind of like from the start of that last contract, we've had the same amount of folks leading it that are really dedicated and that have worked really hard to get this moving from the ground up. Um, I'm really proud to be involved in it as I am. Uh, and to be open about it, I mean, I was a rank and file member initially, and now I am in like more of a organizing and leadership role, especially related to the strike. But within the last year, I became the representative for my department. And before I did that, my department, I think, was at like, uh, I don't know, we have maybe like 16 people that are eligible to be members. And before I kind of took that on, we had two that were members, and now we have all 16. And I spent a lot of my time trying to make sure everybody's like up to date and informed. Because, of course, as graduate students, one thing that makes this really difficult is that you're already being stretched in so many different directions and doing so much work in so many different ways. You're wearing so many different hats to then uh, recognize the importance of fighting for the value of your labor. It can be that extra thing that people have a really difficult time making time for. And I think it's, um, again, to to kind of say it again, I think it's like the leadership and the folks that we currently have working tirelessly and taking everything very seriously, um, that that's really a, a testament to their dedication, which is, I guess, to the point where we are now. Absolutely. And just to add on to that, to include a couple more technical things, you know, our leadership has been absolutely incredible. And one of the reasons why we have such incredible leadership is that you get a couple of leaders who are very good ones, right? And if you get a couple of those very good leaders who recognize I'm not going to be here forever, I need to invest in future generations of Tugza leadership. And that, I think, is really, really central to what has made us a successful union growing over the course of the past, you know, half a decade. We have had, you know, I'm thinking about my strike captain is a first year it is her first year in grad school and she is already on this path and she's she's leading an entire team of strikers right now. And that's someone who, because she's been put in this leadership position now and because she's been trained and mentored under the current CNT, the contract negotiations team, under the current leadership, right, she is going to be an asset to the union now for the next four years moving forward. And so you know, quickly identifying young people. I'm only in my second year, but I spent all of last year organizing with the recruitment team. I've been attending contract negotiation sessions. And one of the other really great things that our leadership has been able to do is kind of to take advantage of the administration underestimating us. And because of that, They've allowed for us to have open negotiations up until now. Now that's something that the administration kind of wants to play with. That's a bargaining chip. But up until now, you know, bargaining sessions have been something that rank and file members can just attend. And the ability to get people in the room to see the way that Temple University's administration has been disrespecting us, I think, has also really invigorated a lot of members. Uh, On top of that, we're maintaining relationships with former leaders of Temple of Tugza. So, for example, our union rep used to be one of the presidents. You know, our contract negotiations team is made up of maybe three former Tugza presidents. And these connections, even after graduation, people are staying in. They are mentoring younger people. There is a really really well-maintained, well-functioning, well-oiled relationship between the local Tugza 
and the National American Federation of Teachers, the state Pennsylvania Federation of Teachers, you know, those are union jobs that members of Tugza, you know, I when I told people that I was leaving at the end of the semester, the very first thing they did is they were they said, go to unionjobs.com, look and see if maybe you could start working for the union. Um, so that those things have really helped us to kind of maintain that. Another thing that has been really helpful for us is the national climate in general. You know, we didn't do this on our own. We are living in a wonderfully, wonderfully unprecedented time of labor unrest in the best of ways. You know, we're talking about unionization waves hitting all different sectors and especially service sectors, which teaching technically is. And so having this kind of national climate also between 2018 and now, you saw a lot of people kind of coming to grips with the realities of living under capitalism and the negative things that can come with that, be it through the pandemic, be it through the 2020 uprisings. You know, you had people being brought into the fold and Tugza had a really, really great opportunity and a really great strategy for taking advantage of the momentum that was happening nationally and distilling that into local action, not just for the grad students, but also for the undergraduates. You know, a lot of our students at Temple University, uh, I, I like to say that the history of Temple University is about a student body that is just so cool. A student body that is consistently radical, that is consistently trying its best to do what is best for the community around it and an administration standing in the way or an administration trying to do evil and brave students fighting against it, trying to rein it in as it gentrifies the area. You know, we have students protesting the creation of new stadiums, trying to stop things like that from happening. So we have this untapped student body that is just primed to support labor rights and the rights of the marginalized in general, and to see themselves as allies of people who are at this point, on average, living at 150% of the poverty line. So being able to make those connections with the undergraduates, they've actually, independent of us, formed a solidarity group that is organizing a walkout. They are working with local socialist groups to make undergraduate student unions themselves. There's actually a push right now being led by undergraduate students to create their own union for undergraduate student workers who are working in things like the food services on campus, who are working in like the libraries, uh, the few students to RTAs. And having the undergraduates on our side, being willing to boycott our classes when they're being scabbed, which Kyler can talk a lot about, you know, being able to send letters saying that they don't stand for this to the administration and to the deans, to the chairs of the departments, you know, being able to tie those things all together, I think is something that Tudza has done really, really, really well. And I think it, it just created this perfect storm that I'm really, really lucky to be a part of an organization that handled so well and taking advantage of. And in, in kind of given all of that momentum, all the kind of advantages that played a major role in kind of the growth of the organization over the years, what have you kind of seen as pushback from the administration, right? I mean, you said they were not really prepared for the increased strength that we that you saw from increased uh, membership representation. 
they're really, I assume, were not prepared for the asks that you were putting forth. Um, I assume they probably were looking for, I mean, I'm not even assuming, I know this from talking with tons of people, they were, they were assuming much like less aggressive asks, essentially. And I think their response says a lot. And I think for listeners that might not be living in Philadelphia and kind of hearing it day to day, or who may not be tuned in as much to like kind of um, regional media, it's in even national media, there's um, a lot missing from the story regarding kind of temples, union busting activity. Can you all kind of maybe go into detail a little bit about some of the stuff you've seen on the ground and kind of as students? Yeah, happily. I think it's something that's really important to talk about. I'm glad that you asked that question, James. Um, Temple's in uh, a position where they are constantly trying their hardest to um, fight back against all the unionization efforts on campus. We are one of many unions on campus. There's folks from all over the different jobs and professions on campus that are unionized. Um, We have been, I think, in the past treated in a way that... um, is quite different than how we're being treated now. Now we're at a point where we're getting the attention. And like we've said, on like large scales and also a temple where they're starting to recognize, oh, these grad students are actually organized and in a place where they are um, put together enough to make up a decent fight for this. In the past, like Reagan said, we've had open negotiations on campus and we're the only union that's had that because they did not have any concerns about us. They were not they, they were not aware of kind of what the organizational efforts that had been going on. And even with that, they just figured that there wasn't going to be an ability for us to make progress going forward. You know, from uh, from the very beginning of negotiations early last year, there's just been really blatant disrespect um, directly to the members, which is important. And that goes to along with the open negotiations. For example, we will sit there across from the table And our contract negotiations team will ask the administration and those who are representing them at the table questions, and they will say very disrespectful things to the faces of the negotiation team and all of the rank and file members behind them and other members of the community who might be in the room supporting us. These have been things like saying that we are not a core function of the university. These have been things like saying that we are part-time employees and therefore we do not deserve more benefits. In fact, we are the only employees on Temple that are employed by them who have fully subsidized healthcare. And they let us remember that as much as possible in the most disrespectful way they can when they tell us, you are the only people who have fully subsidized healthcare and you should be grateful for it. No one else has this. Of course, the reality of that is that it's disgusting that you're not willing to subsidize healthcare costs for any other employees. That's not, it's, there's not like an argument against that there. Um, and you know, these are things I think that, that we've really been dealing with and that we've kind of branded ourselves around. When we're walking around campus for the last 13 days picketing, we're chanting things like we are a core function of the university because hearing that struck such a chord with all of us that it's invigorated a fire. The energy that was already existing, and like Reagan said, we took advantage of this in terms of the labor climate in the country and in terms of the social justice movements that we've seen within the past few years that have such an uptick than in recent years before that, that coupled with the disrespect of the administration to our faces has lit a fire underneath these graduate students where they are recognizing their worth, they're recognizing their value. And I think it's a lot of folks who have not thought about the importance of their labor in the past who are now recognizing that we are in a fight for something that is much bigger than just us as graduate students at Temple. We are a part of a movement for individuals gaining the respect of those who have so long been refusing to give us that respect. Yeah. 
And just to add a little bit about what that disrespect looks like specifically, because I think it's important for anyone who hasn't been tuned in to understand that Temple University has been taking unprecedented steps of union busting against our association, which again, is this is an entirely legal strike. We tried to avoid it for over a year. And they have been doing absolutely everything in their power to make sure that it is crushed. And they are willing to break however many labor laws it takes. They are willing to be as cruel as it possibly takes. One of the core examples, and one that you might not have heard about yet, is their continued horrendous treatment of international student workers. That's something that we have been dealing with from Temple administration. So as I mentioned earlier, our current contract has an average wage of $19,500 a year. That was not even the living wage in 1990, which for context, I was born in 1998. So <laughs> it, it, this is the, the low, low wages literally predate my existence. No one has been able to live on this in this city for longer than I have been alive. And, you know, as as amazing as it is that we've had a union since 97, our contract really hasn't changed that much. It definitely hasn't kept up with inflation. Since 2018, there has been, I believe it was 18.16% inflation, and they are offering us a 3% raise, which amounts to $63 a month, like $63 a month. For a little bit extra contrast, contrast, the other union that they bargain with on a similar cycle to us is the Temple University Police Union, which got a 10% raise from their already higher base salary. So they're offering us 3% on less than $20,000 a year, whereas we've got Temple cops who are incapable of protecting our students, who are consistently harassing the homeless people around us who are consistently disrespecting our students being rewarded for not doing their jobs with an additional 10% raise on top of what was looking at like 40, 50, 60,000 a year. So that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with. And the international students are the ones who are hit the hardest by a lot of this because they're not allowed to have additional jobs. So when you are here on an international student visa, you can only work for the university that you are going to school with. So if you are given an appointment that does not pay your rent, there is nothing you can do. You can't access those federal student loans. You're not a citizen. So people like me, you know, I'm an American citizen. I'm lucky I happen to be born here. So I get the benefit of being able to take out extra loans to supplement my income. I get the benefit of being able to work second and third jobs, which I do. And those things are awful that I have to do them, but at least I have those options. International students do not have those options. On top of that, our tuition remission, which tuition remission is an industry standard benefit. I like to make the comparison, my side job is at a yoga studio. It is an industry standard benefit when you work at a yoga studio that you get a free membership. And tuition remission at universities is very much the same. My mother is also a professor. She even got tuition remission for her children 
So it's it's pretty standard that that is something you get when you work for a university. But ours does not include university fees, which is kind of a vague charge that they give us at the beginning of the semester that, you know, depending on who you are, it can be, I know that mine this semester was over $300. It's been over $400 for me. And for international students, you're looking at double that. So you're not getting paid until the last day of September. And the very thing that you have to do as soon as you get that lump sum at the end of your first paycheck is to give a significant chunk of it back to the university. And if you're an international student, that is, if you're an international student, that is an even higher fee. And just to clarify, tuition remission basically means that you don't have to pay tuition to go to school, to take classes at the university that you're working for. Uh, That looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Because I'm a second year, I'm still taking classes. That means that it pays for me to attend two classes. Uh, I'm not sure. Kyler, are you still attending classes? What What does it look like for you? Yeah, I'm still attending classes, but I'm only in one class. And um, I think what's important about tuition remission is that if you're getting a PhD, when you're in your later years of the PhD, you're still a student, you're still enrolled, but you're pretty much just doing research. So you get course credit for that research. It's like an arbitrary like course name and number, and you're just like writing your dissertation and whatnot. So you get tuition remission for that, but that's like only one class. So your tuition remission that they're saying the money that they pay for you to get to go to school in your first two years is significantly higher than that. You might be getting like $9,000, $10,000 for the first semester or two of your PhD program. But then when you're in like your fourth or fifth year, if you're in a program going that long, you're getting like $1,200 or something like that that's coming back. And another important thing on top of this, like what Reagan said with how this is an industry standard, there's other universities that actually just don't charge any money for tuition and just call it $0 because that's the function of it. And that's how graduate school is working. Um, the fact that they do the tuition remission deal where they're like handing themselves their own money and then giving it back is something that is a like a, a weird process to begin with. And it's just um, like them weaponizing it in the way that they have is the only like actual purpose it's ever served. Our balance on our like accounts gets the tuition dollars put on it, and then a couple weeks later gets it taken away under tuition remission. Um, and, and and that's kind of as simple as it is. So this is something where I think the 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 really big reaction to this is that for them to utilize the strike as an excuse for them to make such a retaliatory act by taking away tuition costs that are expected by anybody in these graduate school positions who are also working for the university is something that is incredibly unprecedented and that has most academics across the fields in the country shaking their heads very confused. Mm -hmm. One thing I'd like a little bit more clarification on, if we can, Uh, you mentioned international student workers and uh, the kind of retaliation that's going on. And and many of these things that we're talking about are retaliation, you know, the canceling of the, the tuition remissions many, many forms of retaliation, which you lay out in your article, Reagan. One of the things that really was shocking me, though, was essentially threats against international student workers. Uh, This was particularly shocking to me. Uh, Of course, all of the things that 
that they're doing. And again, I'm just going to refer people to check out the article, which we'll link in the description. But many of the things that they're doing are just outright violations of labor law. And they're going through challenges right now, which I'm sure you will talk about. But probably the most egregious one is the outright threats against international student workers. So I'm wondering if you can just lay out what those threats looked like and also how that played into the timing of the strike, which I thought was also another interesting wrinkle to this. Absolutely. So we have been bargaining with the administration, trying to get them to change their fee structure, trying to get them to be kinder to the international students trying to get them to give us all of these things that we should have had in the first place right and in response they have been consistently dismissive at one point they told us to our faces that they never promised we could live on these wages which is just absurd to me because one of the conditions of getting an f1 visa so one of the conditions for coming here is that you have to be able to live on the amount of money you have. You can't get approved for that visa. One of the conditions for it is that whatever job you are coming for is going to pay you enough to live. So basically, they're saying that they have committed mass visa fraud. That's the first thing. (laughs) By telling these students that it's going to be fine. You can come here. It's a safe place for you. All of the qualifications for your visa, including the fact that you need to have enough to pay your rent and buy food and things. All of those things are going to be covered by this stipend that they give us. And they call it a stipend instead of an income. But basically, they they do that. And then we have, after trying everything else we can, a strike authorization vote. Our strike authorization vote happened back in November, I believe it was. And we passed with over 99% approval. The students or the grad students here, our union was completely on board with this. And after we approved the strike, it was up to the contract negotiations team to figure out when that was going to happen. A lot of people wanted it to happen immediately. I know that I was one of those people who was a little bit disappointed that we didn't just immediately go on strike. But we come to find out later that part of the reason for that is because they were threatening to take away our tuition remission, which, again, absolutely unprecedented. There is no institution that has ever done this to striking graduate workers before. And while we're on the topic, I also want to just add in about the health care, which I think has gotten not as covered. But when you default on your health care payments, you get 60 days to pay that off. It is required by law that you have two months before your health care is turned off once you start defaulting on those payments. So if Temple says, we're no longer going to support you in your health care in retaliation for your strike, we should have two months to find other ways to come up with that money or to have a return to work agreement that will settle it, something like that. In order to avoid us getting that, two employees of Temple University went in and manually turned off the healthcare coverage for people who were on the Temple healthcare plan, manually turned it off so they would not get their legally required 60 days. That is absurd. And also, again, 
directly, disproportionately impacting international students because they can't do what I'm doing. You know, I'm 24, so I'm still on my mom's insurance. They can't do that. Temple University insurance is their only option. And people were showing up at the pharmacies and getting immediately rejected. So these were things that they were kind of vaguely threatening back in November after we authorized a strike. They hadn't happened yet. They were kind of vaguely threatening. It had, There was no precedent for it. But on the off chance that it might happen, our contract negotiation team, in collaboration with the American Federation of Teachers, and again, I, I just really want to shout out the union leadership there. You know, they, they've been sending out emails fundraising for our strike fund, which is also in the description. You know, they, they've, been, they've been doing what they can. And they, in collaboration, figured out that if international students left the country and while they were out of the country, their tuition remission was taken away, then they might no longer be students in good standing, which is a condition for those visas. Basically, it could prevent problems for them getting back into the country, which is incredibly, incredibly cruel of Temple to threaten. But they actually went to the trouble of sending out an email to the entire school after we authorized a strike telling international students that they should consult with an immigration lawyer for entirely protected, entirely legal strike activity, it, just to threaten them, just to make them feel as if they are unsafe and unable to do something that is their right, not just under the Constitution, but as human beings, as workers, they should have this right. And Temple University threatened them and out of an abundance of caution, we ended up postponing, I suppose, the strike. It didn't happen immediately after the strike authorization vote. We gave Temple even more time to come to the bargaining table. And we waited until all of our international students had returned from winter break. They were all safely back so that there wasn't any issue where, you know, someone in, in my strike team is from Ukraine. Someone else in my strike team, you know, my, my strike captain, she came here from Kashmir, you know, we're, we're talking about people who are going home and potentially being prevented from coming back in, and they're, they're being put in danger by this. And Temple is throwing out these threats, knowing that they're illegal because they have enough power to, because they have enough money and they have enough of a megaphone that they can commit crimes, that they can commit labor law violations, and then it is on us to use our time, our energy, our resources to call them out on it, to bring those charges to the labor board, to adjudicate that. Basically, it's a way of wasting our time and our energy. And in the meantime, they get all the benefits of intimidating international students, of committing retaliation, of doing labor law violations until we use our scant resources as poor graduate students not making a living wage to undo the damage that they have done to us. And in some cases, with their thrust to international students, like we have some members of our union, of our bargaining team, who are still too afraid to go on strike because of Temple's threats. And that is exactly what the administration was trying to do. No matter how illegal it is, the fact that they could send that email and then it's up to us to dispute that, they win. 
And that's part of why it's so evil. Yeah, I just want to follow up on that, um, Reagan, with I can't I think like the importance of the union's role in this as well, right? Because you're already in a position where you have graduate students that are already overworked and underpaid, that you're trying to help recognize the significance and the importance of being involved with this so that we can improve all of our material conditions together. And that is, of course, another hurdle that now the union has to deal with. Of, okay, how do we work with our international students to make sure that they are able to you know, recognize the rights that they have as a student worker in this country? Um, I think one thing that is really important to emphasize is how our leadership in a very democratic fashion has gone about all of this from day one. The day after the strike authorization vote, um, I was in a meeting with like 10 other people in leadership for, I think, like seven hours on like a Friday afternoon. It was not the most fun day of the week or time of day for a meeting, but these are the things that we had to get done. And we sat there on a whiteboard trying to figure out what makes the most sense with going forward with all this. And while we do that, everybody is very conscious of keeping um, those individuals who are in more marginalized positions then other members in the bargaining team and the bargaining unit um, really at the forefront of our mind and to our attention. Uh, and with that all being said and all those efforts going forward, I can still right now think of three instances with three, three different international students in the past week where I have worked very hard in talking with them, trying to help them understand how these laws actually function because all day long they are still getting threatening emails, scary interactions with people that work with them in their department telling them that if you go on strike, they're going to cancel your visa, which we know is not even close to the truth. And it's frankly an unfair labor practice to have someone else in the department even say that to them. But to try to explain all these nuances to people who, again, are just trying to go to graduate school to get their degrees to better themselves and, and, and advance their education um, is creating such an extra burden on everyone involved. Um, and that's why I'm really grateful that... Um, the, the leadership has acted in the way that we have and that we are working so hard to organize it and to have that success. And at the same time, it's still something where, you know, folks are having a really difficult underst time understanding how Temple would do something so violent and so disrespectful to the students that they claim to be proud. We know this when we look at international students of so many universities in this country. They are propped up. They are talked about. Look at how worldly we are. Look at these folks that we have coming from all over the world to visit us. And they're treated the worst in the most objective ways. You can look at the page. I'm paying half the student fees they're paying. We're doing the same thing, except I have less stuff to worry about bar across the whole thing. And I think it's really, um, again, it's just really important to, to recognize that these are folks who are trying to get their work done that now have this extra thing on top of them. Um, and, and on top of their mind and, and and weighing on them all the time as they're trying to figure out how to get through the day. And this is because of Temple's disrespect and um, their intention with everything that they do. And it's been really frustrating how often I've had to explain to members that they don't care that they're breaking the law because the money that it's going to cost them when they get sued over the unfair labor practice is not even close to the benefit that they would see from stopping our progress and stopping our movement. And it really is like morals and ethics out the window from the student perspective. How could they do something so egregious? How could this possibly happen? They're not thinking about it that way. They're thinking about the dollars and the cents, and they're trying to keep us 
under their foot and away from any sort of realization of the progress that we are currently moving towards. I just want to say one quick thing, James, before I let you, you know, move us on uh, from here. You, you were talking about all of this retaliation that's taking place. We're talking about these labor violations that's taking that are taking place. I think, Reagan, you used the phrase an administration standing in the way uh, earlier. It just also calls to mind something that I had seen come out within the last day, which is that Temple University President Jason Wingard is speaking at a conference right now. He gave the closing keynote address for the Association to Advance Collegiate Schools of Business, where he said things such as, do we pivot? Do we adapt? Do we blow it up? It's us, up to us to decide. This is a pivotal moment. Uh, we need to be responsive to the needs of employers and students or else. How does this make you feel to see these sorts of comments coming from the president of the university at the exact same time that the graduate student employees of the university, the people that actually do a fair amount of the labor at the university that allows it to function, really, these sorts of comments are coming out of him. Higher ed must change or die. We must uh, be responsive to the needs of employers and students at the exact same time that the strike is going on, and at the exact same time that his institution is retaliating against these very workers, these very students, that he says that they need to be responsive to the needs of. So I'm curious if you can just, you know, respond to this, because it just came out within the last day that this was the closing keynote that he gave, and it was absolutely egregious to see, knowing that we were going to be talking about this exact topic. Like, the timing is absolutely ironic and infuriating at the exact same time. So feel free to just, you know, speak your mind. I am so glad you brought this up, Henry. Not only do I have a lot of thoughts, I also right before this meeting was putting together a list of quotes from President Wingard. Oh, well, feel free. Feel free. Let us hear it. Oh, sir, I will. Both from this keynote, from Temple's mission statements, and from an article that President Wingard wrote in Forbes just two months ago, that is titled, College Debt is Impersonal, Our Economic Security is at Stake. Couple the quotes from his Forbes article, which is largely speaking about how crippling college debt is for students and the economy generally. Um, Let's acknowledge that the powerful combinations of distrust and sky-high costs put institutions such as the one that I lead in a change-or-die position. I'm just going to read them all, all right in a row, and I want you to just take a step back and remember that this is the president of the university that is working their hardest to bust any union efforts as much as possible, including cutting our health care two days ago, um, to regain trust and ensure that degrees we confer have significant value and relevancy, we must evolve. America needs college graduates who can graduate with less and more manageable debt. We need them to be able to earn a living that allows them to thrive, not only for their benefit, but for society at large. And then we have the Temple mission statement, which says that the five pillars that Temple leadership will use to guide the university forward are boundless access, educational value, thought leadership, community engagement, and reputational excellence. Temple will lead the education revolution fueled by unparalleled aptitude and grit. 
The future of work is disruption. The future of learning is change. The future of Temple University is bright. We're not to the keynote speech yet, for the record. We're not even there. This is stuff from like the last couple of months. And now let's go to the keynote speech where he shared his thoughts on how schools must be more responsive to the needs of employers and students or else. Hashtag change or die. He made comments on how business schools respond to market demands. He challenged attendees saying, do we pivot? Do we adapt? Do we blow it up? It is up to us to decide. It is a pivotal moment. And finally, again, as you said a minute ago, Henry, we are at a crisis point. <laughs> change is happening. You can't keep doing the same thing. Higher ed must change or die. couple of initial thoughts. First off, I think it's so interesting that we're using the slogan of change or die, which I have a hard time wrapping my head around. These are very serious issues and we're talking about school. Why is the president who is working his hardest to prevent us from improving our material conditions enough that we are not worried about renting groceries? Telling us that if he doesn't change, we're going to die. Is that what that means? I don't even want to think about it further than that. But it almost reads like this, like a satirical joke. I feel like it's an episode of like Curve Your Enthusiasm. I mean, the, the, the quote from his article in November says, we need them to be able to earn a living that allows them to thrive for their benefit and society at large. And okay, what are we're on day 13 of the first graduate student worker strike in the history of Pennsylvania. We're part of a big labor movement. Every time I go on Twitter, I see another graduate student union that's either voting to unionize or voting to try to go for a strike authorization or all sorts of things across the country. He's speaking at conferences supposed to be guiding other deans and other leaders of their schools. And we're on day 13 and we had not had a single comment. He had his Twitter replies turned off until like early this morning. He has refused to make any sort of comment, even one that would be very weak of like, you know, the classic, like, we're working hard to resolve it. No, we don't get any of that. Instead, we have the provost of the university sending emails to undergraduate students, telling them that if they support the union, they are risking their academic progress moving forward. We've extended from threats to the graduate students legally exercising their right to strike that we're now threatening undergraduates for supporting. And this is at a university that was built on the backs of like improving the working class. As Reagan mentioned in her wonderful article, that's what this was all started on. That's why we're called owls is because we were working late at night in school because we're working during the day. It could not be more ironic. It could not be more satirical. And for folks who are familiar with the university and familiar with Philadelphia being a union town, it's a disgrace to see what is currently happening under this administration. Oh, there was another thing, too, that I wanted to talk about before I forget. Um, so it was on Friday. You know, we're on day 11 of the strike. And I got an email, like, invitation to an event upcoming at the university. And the whole subject line of the calendar invite just said, start a riot, which is a pretty wild thing to send in the middle of the first strike on campus in, like, several decades. But... The, the, the event is called Start a Riot, a conversation with American Book Award winner and former editor of the Black Panther Party newspaper, Judy Juanita and Cesare Abdul Ghani um, at the end of March. And there is something so incredible about the university still promoting an event about civil unrest and black arts movement, drama, fiction and poetry. 
in the middle of a strike where individuals are standing up for their rights. They are acting like these folks are going to be the ones that aren't going to be right along there with us, which I think is um, surprising, uh, but still as ironic as all the other stuff that they have been putting out all along the way. Seriously, it's like... When you get with these neoliberal institutions, they just it's like there's a weird break in their minds where they feel like they can be progressive about all sorts of issues. And then all of a sudden it's bizarre when they don't put their money where their mouth is and people go on strike about it. You know, Uh, I didn't get that email, but my strike captain did. And it was really funny because we were literally on the picket line and she gets out her phone and she shows us and she goes like, well, Temple said we should start a riot. You know, uh, if, if they insist, I guess. Oh, it's clear. I'm looking forward to more irony in the near future, but I would also much prefer if we could just get this wrapped up and they could start taking this more seriously for the betterment of everybody. About what is the only public university in the per capita least wealthy big city in the country university that has gotten in hot water before because right before i got here they were selling t-shirts that said hbcu ish to try and brag about how many students they had brought in from philadelphia communities and it's basically luring these students in with false promises you know, uh, one, of, one of the other things that I mentioned in, in the article is that this was the place where the first Africology PhD program in the country was. And students who are in that program now are on food stamps. Like, how progressive is it to say we have a record number of first generation students? Come here. Look how great we are. Look at all these international students that we tricked into coming here and keep in poverty now. You know, it's just absolutely appalling. And I was wondering, Kyler, could you repeat, there was a quotation that you said earlier about the importance of degrees. Um... Well, I mean, I, I, it might be this one. It's hard, Reagan, because they're all very similar and they all don't sound like someone who's doing what he's doing. But he said to... Like nothing speak is what they sound like. They sound like like it's been workshopped through every focus group that he possibly could continue <laughs> yeah exactly um it says to regain trust and ensure that the degrees we confer have significant value and relevancy we must evolve and i would like to talk about the ways that these degrees have been evolving since we went on strike because they have been doing everything they can to make sure that there are people to teach our classes while we are on the picket line and those people are not exactly creating reputational excellence, as Jason Wingard would put it. We're talking about recruiting undergraduates to replace us, people who haven't even earned their bachelor's degrees being asked to replace us, to scab. I know that in my department, one of the particularly difficult things that has recently happened is a friend of mine had his class scabbed by a professor who no longer works for the university. That professor used to work for the university, and this individual's wife 
was the TA of this professor when he worked for the university. So we've got a professor who used to have a TA. This TA is an Asian woman, and she experiences significant gendered racism from this man. There is an investigation and ends up losing his ability to have TAs and to work with undergraduates and eventually ends up leaving the university because of his actions. In order to make sure that there are scabs for our classes, this man has been brought back and the class has been put on Zoom because he can't be trusted to be in because he can't be trusted to be in the room with undergraduates. So they had to put the class on Zoom because this man is apparently so bad that he can't be in the same room as undergraduates. It's just absolutely appalling the way that this university will do everything it can to prevent its workers from getting a living wage to the extent that it will devalue the degrees, the thing that it is supposed to be there to give out. This university is devaluing by having undergraduates and sex pests taking over our classes. We're, we're talking about, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an instructor of record, so I teach a class that's quantitative methods for the social sciences. And both of the individuals who teach this class, because we're in the political science department and most of the political science department is striking, there's just no one teaching this class. Until this strike ends, our students just aren't going to learn about quantitative methods, which I know my students are probably very happy about, but there are students who want to learn about quantitative methods out there in the world, and they deserve to. They signed up to. They signed up to have us as their professors, not some random undergraduate, not some professor who's been retired for 20 years, who is being brought back to scab for a class that they have no idea what they're doing and they haven't created the syllabus or anything for. It's just all of these stopgap measures. Yeah. And Reagan, you're making great points. And I wish that that was like the extent of the scab stories right now. But unfortunately, there is much more. We have a professor in one department who is now teaching nine different courses, who was teaching like, I, I, I don't know how many courses they were teaching before that. I can tell you it wasn't nine. Um, we have classes that are typically meeting in person twice a week that are now meeting once a week on Zoom with a new instructor. There's classes that are changing departments because the new instructor's in a different department, so they're not technically able to teach that class under that. So they're having to rearrange this and cut all these corners to ensure that these students who are paying all of the money and tuition dollars are still receiving the general education credits. And just imagining all of these hurdles and situations everybody's having to go through to prevent, like, not just prevent us from trying to achieve a living wage and benefits that mean that people who have people who are giving birth don't have to come back to work five days later. It's more than that. They're not coming to the table to negotiate in good faith with us. They're doing these things to prevent the process of negotiation. It's taking a step further back. We're not even at the point where we're actually hashing things out and going back and forth yet, which I think is a really important thing to recognize. Um, and we're also putting you're putting these a lot of folks in positions where, again, I think about the graduate students that I've had to talk to 
about like um, labor laws and how all of this functioning works and just recognizing their worth and like why we're doing this and all of these things. And people are receptive to it, but it's a lot of new information. It's a similar thing with some of these professors who are like also part of the working class who are now like, oh, well, just take up this extra job. Great. Here's the money. And now we're like, hey, wait a minute. Just so you know, this is what you're doing by working here. And a lot of people are recognizing that and stopping scabbing, but there's also a lot that are continued doing it because the university is playing this very vicious chess game by just putting everybody against each other in the biggest effort they can to keep themselves out of the situation. Um, and, oh, go ahead. What do you And I was just going to say, another group that they keep trying to sow a division with is our undergraduate students. The people who we know that the vast majority of undergrads are in support of us because the vast majority of undergrads at this school are really, really, really cool people. This is a place that attracts individuals who are committed to change, even if the administration isn't. And I have gotten so much support from former students. I've literally shown up on the line and seen people that I've taught. It is so cool to see my former roommate who's currently on my strike team is getting daily updates from her class about, you know, this is the name of the scab and this is what they're threatening us with. But the thing is that no matter how much Temple lies, no matter how many times they break the law and they violate our rights, it doesn't actually matter that they are doing those things because the point is to sow confusion. Like Kyler was saying earlier, later they'll pay a fine that is so small they could write it off as spillage. We're talking about an institution which pays multiple million dollars to its president and its losing football coach. You know, we're talking about an institution that has the money to spare and it is so desperate to make sure that some of its most vital workers can't even get 2% of its operating budget. That's, that's the kind of number that we're asking for. And it's still too much for them. And so what they're doing is they're trying to make it seem to our undergraduates that if they stand in solidarity with us, that if they choose to boycott scab classes, that their grades are in danger. And students, out of an abundance of caution, are being tricked into violating the solidarity that they really very clearly want to show. Students, you know, we're talking about complex labor laws. We're talking about universities sending out blatant misinformation. And then it's on us with our much smaller megaphone and our much fewer resources to try and tell the students that the institution they chose and trusted is actually lying to them and to entrust us with their grades, which often to them feels like the most important thing in the world. And it's really, really harmful the way that this university has just weaponized its power and its ability to speak over us, basically to confuse our students into going to scab classes and not being in solidarity with us no matter how much they want to be. And to go off of that, I can share a really personal example because I teach a class that is currently being scabbed by the professor I work for. So the way it's designed is the professor teaches a lecture on Monday and Wednesday, and then I teach three discussion sections on Friday. 
Despite my communication with the professor and my profound explaining that him covering and scatting my Friday classes is not only complicit with the university's violent decision to remove my healthcare and tuition remission and pay, he's also actively supporting it by directly going against the cause. He still held classes, and not only that, he's holding the exams during those classes. So now undergraduate students, many of whom in my class are first-year students, freshmen, working for a general education requirement, are having to make the decision between standing in solidarity with me, their TA, who they've met several times and have openly supported, or going to the class so that they don't lose credit on an exam that they can't see another way out of. And of course, we know that if all the students in the class decided to not go and were able to stand up, then the professor would be forced to adjust and the school would start to recognize the issue. But again, we are putting a lot of pressure on undergraduate students who are paying enormous amounts of money to come here to learn. We should not have to deal with these brutal situations that they're being put in. And it's this level of pitting the professors and the grad students and the undergrad students all against each other that... Um, again, we're working as hard as we can to like maintain those positive relationships and many faculty and many undergraduate students are with us, but the propaganda train is running very strong from their side with very scary and vague emails coming out. Just like the emails that they send to international students that say, we suggest and recommend that you consult an immigration lawyer when we know that they're saying that because they know they're not actually at jeopardy, but now they're terrified that their existence is going to be brought into question because of their decision to legally exercise their right to strike their work that they're being underpaid for. Exactly. You know, we know because we've been forced to learn this as a union that it is our right to get our jobs back after a legal strike. The conditions on which we get our jobs back is a part of the return to work agreement, which the union then decides whether to sign or not. We're not going to sign that if we don't get our classes back. We're not going to participate in some kind of return to work if it means that we're leaving these students with scabs for the rest of the semester or the scabs are the ones who are in charge of their final grades. But if you're getting emails from the university saying, this is the person who is in charge of your final grade, the union doesn't have the authority or the knowledge to give you accurate information, which is another thing that they have actually said on their frequently asked questions page. You know, if you're getting an email that looks, it's coming from the university officials and it's saying, this is the person in charge of your grade. And then you've got a bunch of exhausted grad students standing out on a picket line for the 13th day in a row, eating donated pizza and trying our best not to pass out because we're so tired because we're grad students already and now we have another thing that we're doing and now we have all of these labor laws that we have to teach people about you know you're if you are a cautious student it makes sense that they would just believe what the administration is saying which means that the administration gets to blatantly and brazenly lie over and over and over again and because of the balance of power between employers and workers, it is on us against those odds to try and communicate the truth to our students. And it's really, really, really difficult. I, I think a, a really important thing to emphasize, too, that we haven't um, necessarily talked about as much so far is 
how strong and brave all of these graduate students are for what they're doing. As a reminder, we are striking from our TA work as teaching assistants or our research assistant work in some other situations, which is how we technically are earning our stipend that we're living on. As graduate students, we are also taking classes. We're also doing research. I'm also doing clinical work. So it's not just that someone has to now spend their time trying to understand this situation and what they can best do and how to go to the picket line and how to talk to their students and faculty. They have to do all that in addition to all the other stuff that they're already doing. And the bravery and the strength and the perseverance that these graduate students have shown in the past two weeks is nothing short of totally inspiring. To think that a couple of weeks ago, everybody's concern was like, how is the semester start and how is the semester going to go? Just with like basic functioning to now get to this point where they're like trying to decide how they're going to move forward and balance all these different things. And, oh, you have like a free hour in your schedule for your day. This is how important it would be if you spent that hour out on the picket line. You don't get that hour now to go like try to decompress or prepare for a meeting or something. You can do that if you want, but everyone knows that if you go spend that time on the picket line, it is vastly advancing the cause that we are all working towards. Um, and and I mean, at, at this point, it's something where this is now, again, the another burden that's being added to undergraduate students and to faculty and these other things. Like everybody's typical things are still continuing and now they have this other thing to have to deal with. And it is only because the administration is refusing to negotiate in good faith and refusing to engage with its students when they're telling them that they're not able to live off of, you know, again, a stipend that is paying half of what other universities are paying in the area. And kind of speaking on the uh, the picket lines and kind of like going out of the picket lines and everything else, how has the on-the-ground response really been um, to Tugsa and all the demands they've been making? How, what have you all been seeing? Yeah, absolutely. It has been just so inspiring to see how much support we have gotten, to see how many people from how many corners of academia and of our campus and of the wider labor movement and of the alumni, you know, we are just seeing statement after statement of support. And it has been so, so heartening. And I I feel so grateful that we have gotten the amount of support and coverage that we have because I have been an organizer with the Philly YCL for a bit. I've seen a lot of pickets and not all of them get the kind of coverage that we do. Not all of them get the kind of support that we do. You know, when we were picketing outside Kyler's class on Friday, Chris Smalls came and spoke to us about it. You know, when I'm out there and I'm angry tweeting about all of the bullshit that we've got to deal with, you know, I have supporters who are coming into my mentions and saying, hey, if you need help, if you need something, it, it has been so beautiful to see how much support we have gotten. But the most important support comes from the undergraduates because they are our students. And we took this job because we're teachers and we love teaching. And I, if I had it my way, you know, this, this would be all I did is, is teach. And having to trade that in standing out in the rain is not always the most fun but also the way that the community that we have built 
on the picket line is something that is so wonderful and so incredible. Um, and I just like to use a little bit of a personal example. So one of the things that Jason Wingard talks a lot about is less and more manageable debt and having boundless access. Because I am a second year student, they have arbitrarily decided that my tuition costs about $8,500. I take out loans from the Department of Education so that I can afford my rent, so that I can afford my food, so that I can afford all of the things that I have to afford, right? And when you go on strike, you're not getting paid. You're not getting your regular salary, which to us was peanuts, but it was all we had. Then when they took away our tuition remission, any money that is currently sitting in your account, which coincidentally, my loans, had still been sitting in my account, they were deposited there on the 11th of January. It was 20 days between when my loans were deposited and when my tuition remission was revoked. More than 20 days. But they sat there. And then the entirety of them were taken away from me, straight up stolen by Temple University to pay tuition that I never owed in the first place. And I don't get that money back until we return to work. I'm being cut off from access to my student loans in addition to being cut off from access to my income while I'm on this strike in entirely in illegal retaliation. And, you know, I'll tell some of my friends and they'll say, but that's illegal. They can't do that. And it, it's, I really appreciate the support, but also at times it can be a little bit frustrating because then I have to explain again that it doesn't matter that it's illegal and that we are already filing a labor complaint and the, these things take time and it's on me to continue living until I get this sorted, which is exactly what Temple University is relying on. And when I found out that this was happening to me, I was on the picket and I just broke down. I just completely broke down, finding out that I had no money. <laughs> and the community that we have was there for me more than I can even communicate with words. I'm talking about my strike captain pulling me to the side and giving me pep talk, giving me all the time. I'm talking about the American Federation of Teachers offering me interest-free loans that I can pay back once the return to work agreement comes back. I'm talking about a strike fund that my local YCL fundraised like $400 for and that members of my union were willing to give some money to me for. You know, it is exhausting and it is draining being out there. But it is also a little bit of insight into the kind of world that we want to create, if that makes sense. It, it feels like, you know, as tired and cold as I am, you know, as burnt out as I feel, I still get pulled back to the picket every single day because the people I love are there and they love me and we're working together to make it so that all of this is worth it. You know, I would be burnt out and I would be completely exhausted if I was still working for those terrible wages also. I would be just as burnt out and exhausted if I was continuing with the status quo. I was going to crash eventually. But now 
you know, because I get to spend that extra hour when I might have been resting otherwise on the picket line, that means that I get to spend an extra hour inside the better world we're trying to make, where all of the people that are there to uplift me are consistently every day. And it, it makes it all worth it, you know? I think one thing that's really powerful that that reminds me of Reagan is uh, in the first week of our strike, we had AFT president Randy Wengardner come down and give a speech at a rally for us to show her support and show us how much she cares and to give some pretty stern words to President Wingard, who she knows very personally what, you know, um, what, what she thinks needs to happen to rectify this situation. And one thing she said was that her wife oftentimes uses the phrase joy as an act of resistance. And that's something that we have been riding on ever since outside on the picket line. Last Friday, it was like 20 degrees with no sun and winds. Probably the least pleasant day we've had so far. And we still had a plethora of members of the union, undergraduates, members of the community out there making noise, dancing. We've got instruments. We have folks coming up with full drum sets. We have people with guitars and basses and amplifiers. It's a legitimate party out there. And all I can think of the entire time is how frustrated the administration must feel seeing us outside, not just recognizing our worth and our value, but having a good time recognizing our worth and our value. It's a struggle. We're all going through it. Reagan, I, I think that was really vulnerable of you to share exactly how you've been affected. And I'm so glad you did because more people need to recognize how much this is affecting folks who are already spread too thin, already overworked and underpaid. And despite all that, we're still out there dancing. We're still out there chanting. We're still out there having a good time and creating a sense of community that I also feel the same way about. I've never experienced this before. I feel more purpose now than I've ever felt doing anything else. And I didn't think that was possible because I quite enjoy a lot of the other things that I do. But this is something different. And the fact that it's combined with this fight for progress for us and for everyone around us and everyone that we see at other universities that are sharing their support and letting us know that they're here in the struggle with us is different. It's a very different feeling. And it's one that I hope doesn't go away from me for a very long time. Oh, I was just going to say, it's been really, really heartening. I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in the political science department, which to me means organizing. And then I do some studying on the side. You know, for me, I, I always say that organizing is what makes me feel like a person. It's, I don't believe that people have purposes, but if there was something like a purpose, that's what it would be for me. And for a while, I just kind of assumed that everyone in my department felt that way because we'd get into these classrooms and we'd have these heavy discussions about politics and the needs for progress. And now I'm seeing my classmates and they're saying exactly what you're saying, Kyler. They're discovering organizing for the first time and it really does. It gives me hope. And I'm lucky that this isn't the only time that I've felt this. You know, I've gotten to feel this with YCL. I got to feel this during the 2020 uprisings. Like, this is not something that goes away. And once you get hooked, you're kind of stuck in it. And so I am so excited to see, not just at Temple, but in general, the new generation of union 
graduate students that are being produced by this strike wave because it's something that sticks with you. And I know now that my classmates who are telling me they've never been to a protest before and now they're on the picket every single day, you know, it it gives it it is doing a service to the world when you create a union in your workplace. And I feel so lucky that I got to come to a university where that work had been laid out and done for us so that we could build on it the way that we have, you know? Well, as we get towards the end of the conversation here, I just want to ask about what each of you think the prospects going forward is, uh, you know, as things stand right now and, and what the, the outlook is in the near future, as well as how listeners to this episode can assist you in your efforts to fight for what you deserve. So uh, each of you feel free to, you know, give your thoughts on each of those things. Yeah, I think as as we move forward, um, with, with each thing that feels like more of a hurdle or more of a barrier, I keep feeling this profound sense of victory coming in the near future. I wish I knew what near future meant. That's kind of where the question mark really lies, but I feel very confident that we can continue riding this wave as we have. One of the most important things that's come out of this at this time is the, like we've said already, like the statewide, the regional, and the national attention and the news that we have received um, as a result of Tempe's, Temple committing this unprecedented act of cutting our tuition remission and our health care for exercising our right to strike. Like These are the sorts of things that is helping other people recognize exactly what we're going through. We've gotten incredible solidarity, both from politicians, celebrities, other folks in the labor movement. Like Reagan said, having Chris Smalls come to campus unannounced. I saw it was in Philly. I said, guys, we should treat it, tweet at Chris Smalls. Maybe he would show up. Randomly showed up. He said he was on the way to the airport. And then during- He had his luggage with him. <laughs> well, yeah, very like with the headphones and the pillow, like ready to fly, you know? And- um. Well, while he gets there, he leads a fuck Jeff Bezos chat chant outside the building that my class is being scabbed at. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to top that feeling that I had in that moment where it's like really everything coming together. It's like my labor idol, like chanting at the person who is like undermining the value of my labor at the same time. But those are the sorts of things that keep happening every day. Something that exciting and continuing to get the attention that we're getting, I think, is the biggest motivating factor for us from top to bottom, the contracts negotiation team, the strike captains, the rank and file members, the community supporters, everybody sees the solidarity of folks coming together. And that is what's going to push us towards a victory for us and for the working class at large. And it's got me really excited. Some of the great things that folks can do to support, um, if, if you're in the Philadelphia area, come out if you've got any free time between like 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. during the week. Um, if you are able to make it out, we are having a good time. Like I said, we've got music. I'm screaming into the megaphone. Reagan will do some songs in the megaphone because she can actually sing. I won't make you listen to my singing. But those are the sorts of things where just getting folks out there and getting community is great. We've got dogs on the picket line. People are out there with their babies and their toddlers walking on the picket line. It's a place of community and love, and we're really great to build that. Um, we're really happy to be here for, for it, and we're happy to continue to see how it develops and continues to grow. And then there's other ways folks can support too, but I'm sure Reagan can let you know what those are. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun time. Everybody in the affiliate should come. Just just show up on campus. We're pretty loud. You can find us. And 
Little Birdie told me that some comrades in DC are donating a grill soon. So we might be able to do like cookout on the picket. Just saying. It's fun. We have music blasting. We've got we've got a whole brass section now. We started with like one saxophone and now we have we have a sometimes we have costumes and we have a giant blow up fat cat. Uh it's it's a lot of fun. We're doing everything we can to kind of maintain the momentum. And that's if you're not in the area, that's the biggest thing that you can help us with. Because as I'm sure we all here know, the news cycle is unfortunately and discouragingly short. I know right now that we are getting the benefit of press coverage and we are getting the benefit of the outrage, but the novelty is going to wear off much faster than the strike is going to end. This is a marathon. It is something that is going to continue for at least weeks, possibly months. We have no idea. And part of the open-endedness is a source of anxiety. And it's another thing that can kind of beat you down sometimes. So having folks continuing to amplify our messages, we're on Twitter as Tugza. We're on Instagram as Tugza. We have a fantastic website. It's just tugza.org slash strike. And you can go on there and you can find our strike fund, which is the biggest, best, most material thing that you could do to support us if you are not in the area. We're also going to have that in the description so that you can more easily access the strike fund. But that is the biggest thing. In addition to that, you know, we've got petitions. We've got, uh, I'm just going to say that Jason Wingard is on Twitter and you are welcome to tweet at him, you know. So I I would say just please don't let the news cycle eat us. Let it, let us stay with this momentum as much as we possibly can so that we can keep getting the kind of support that we have been getting so that we can get back into the classrooms as soon as possible. Awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, as we kind of finish up then, uh, Reagan, Kyler, is there anywhere that people can find y'all across social media or anything like that? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kyler Lerbach. It's my first name and last name. We'll have it in the bio too. Um, you can also find me on Instagram if you search ky.lehr. Um, and, and again, I encourage you to also check out our Tugza handles on social media too. We have a lot of memes going on on there. That's kind of been a new push we have to try to make it fun and exciting for everybody to see. Too. Yeah. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ray Reads Theory. That's Ray spelled R-A-E Reads Theory. And I've got a link tree on there to all of my writings, including my article about the strike. So you can check that out. From there, you can find me on Instagram if that's something that you really care about. Um, but the Twitter is is really where where I keep most of my most of my writings and all of my tweetings. Awesome. So with that, I guess we can kind of uh, clear out the end. And uh, this has been Henry and James, both on Guerrilla Radio. And also, if you're interested in following with any other uh, podcasts coming out of not just Guerrilla Radio, but Guerrilla History, you can follow Guerrilla underscore pod on Twitter. Uh, Henry likes to make sure that I know that there are two R's and two L's in Guerrilla, uh, because I know that many of our comrades like me have a very difficult time spelling very critical words. So uh, that'll be where we go there. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's it on our end. I hope everybody who's been listening has an amazing day. Thank you for the talk. Plexiglass is styrofoam. You want it more than a model home. Every week we can't risk it. Yeah. 
for the changes. My family is the foliage, the branches for the nameless. My roots as deep as holiest. I console the mothers who saw the streets as fathers to raise a wild few who ended up amongst the scholars. Yeah, that's why I'm praying for our daughters. Uh, so they can lead us through these waters. Cause when mama's proud, she's the grace that we charter. Ambition is akin to intuition. Saturdays with your mind on empty, spirit on extra, body on me. Won't buy what the soul can't see. Won't touch what the heart can't read. Waiting for a cold case of basics. They just wanna see if we'll make it. Same answers, new faces. Circles round these places. Flexi glasses from styrofoam. You want it more than. 